uh, we are not exempt from these same kinds of problems. Right? Look around you. Is there, are, are any of these sins descriptive of us that, that have been listed you know, earlier? You take a look at statistics of Protestant churches, churches that believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he, he sent Jesus to die on the cross and that Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins and that He rose from the dead and that He deserves and demands to be master of all. Those kinds of churches, those are Protestant churches. In those kinds of churches, you're not going to find much of a difference in, in the statistics that describe these people. The divorce rate in Protestant churches is 33% compared to 38%. Those who have used profanity in the last week in Protestant churches, 16%. Those who have looked at pornography in the last week, 12% compared to, uh, what was it, 19%. So that means if you take a sample of, just say, five Protestant churches within 10 miles of here, including our own, that you would find that one out of every three of those people is divorced. Every, one of those three that had been married, I should say. One out of six uses profanity. One out of eight looks at, looked at pornography this last week. And there are likely, we, you know, we could go to drunkenness and all sorts of other things and recognize that, that churches are plagued with these kinds of problems as well, and we could list a hundred more. So it's not just our society that needs Scripture, is it? There is nothing that our churches need more than to hear the Word of God. There's nothing that you and I need more than to hear the Word of God preached. And we need to hear from Christian leaders who are personally submitting to the Scripture, who are personally reading and teaching the Scripture, who are not uh, in a veiled way assuming some sort of heritage of Christian teaching while actually focusing on something else, but, but are serious about the Scriptures. That's, that's the kind of thing that we need. There is nothing in all of life that is more urgent than for us to hear the Word of God. So, let me read our passage here in 2 Timothy 4 because this will help direct our attention to what is the main thing. So, if we think about ourselves as a church, sometimes we can get lost in all the things that are going on, the activities, the people, and we can miss out on what is the most important thing. And that's why I call this, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, but the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Okay, This works for every part of life. You need to make sure that you're focusing on the priority. And, and in the church, the same thing is true. We need to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. So what is the main thing? All right, so it it is it's the scriptures that point us to Christ, and and so that's why Paul makes a, such a serious charge to Timothy. Notice how serious he is here in verse one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 
But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If we're going to see genuine change, as we've been talking about the last several weeks, if we're going to see genuine spiritual change, the thing that our church needs the most is for the Word of God to be preached. And the reason that the Word of God is so central to what we do and what we must do is because it, it does do what Paul just said, and that is that it points us to Jesus Christ. It points us to what He has done for us, and it points us to what He demands for us. And so that's why we try hard to make the Word of God central in everything that we do here. Okay, so in order for us to understand this passage, let's look at some context. Turn back to chapter 3, verse 1. Paul here is trying to explain how we can have certainty in an uncertain world. Okay, so how can we have uncertainty in an uncertain world? Notice verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Okay, the last days, talking about the time before Christ's, uh, before Christ's uh, ascension and His return. Okay, or I should say, before His return. For, for them, they were waiting for his, um, his return as well. So, there will be terrible times. There will be difficult times. Do you, do you sense that? What kind of difficult times will it be? Look at verse 2. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. You want to know what kind of difficult times we should expect in the last days? It is times that that have people that, that are described in these ways. And he goes on, but, but then in chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 5, he gives the remedy. So if we're living in an uncertain world, we are living in an uncertain world. How can we have certainty? Verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 5 give us the answer. Okay, first... Oh, sorry. First, we need to follow the best mentors. Verse 10, Now you followed my teaching, Paul says. Remember, Paul here is talking to Timothy, young pastor, um, and he's trying to exhort him about what, what is most important. And so he says to Timothy, you need to teach people that they, they need to have the best kinds of mentors. You, not, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Let's skip down to verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says you need to follow the example of people who have lived lives that reflect the Gospel. Okay, And, and people who have been tested by hardship and people who have been protected by God in a world with, with all of these, um, these pop idols, 
we have to be intentional about following the best kinds of mentors. We we have these heroes, you know, the, these people that we look up to in our culture. But 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 we need to focus on what is most important and that is finding the best mentors to follow. Finding people who will point us to Christ. So we need to if we're going to have certainty in an uncertain world, we need to follow the best mentors. Secondly, we need to be realistic about the world. We need to be realistic about the world, verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, so we need to uh, expect opposition. We need to be realistic about where we are. And we shouldn't be surprised about it. Paul says that there will be evil men and impostors who come in and who are deceived and are deceiving other people. He's not saying that, you know, as we get closer that, that you know, we start comparing, comparing generations and each generation is worse than the next in, in, in that sense, but, but that every generation is full of evil people that cause people to spiral downward, that cause people or to, that compel people to lead, to, to follow after them. And we should not be surprised by that. That apart from interve- intervention that comes by the grace of God, that, that we all follow blind people. We are often blinded by our own sin and we happily follow other blind people. Okay, so we must be realistic about the world, recognize that there is going to be opposition Thirdly, if we're going to be certain, if we're going to have certainty in an uncertain world, we need to rely on the Bible, verses 14 to 17. Rely on the Bible. So Paul says, you continue in the things you have learned. And then he goes on in verse 16, and here are some familiar verses. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. For every good work. The Scriptures have power to change. They are both profitable and purposeful. They're profitable in that they do those four things. They rebuke, correct, teach, and train. Okay, but, but they're also purposeful in that they lead to something. Look at verse 17 again. So that, why do the Scriptures come and, and change us? Why do they have these four effects? It's so that we would become perfect. That is, that we would become equipped and complete and ready to accomplish whatever work the Spirit calls us to do. So we need to rely on the Bible. If we're going to have certainty in an uncertain world, we need to proclaim the Bible. And that's what verses four, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 are about. It's not enough for us to rely on the Scriptures, but we as a church must proclaim the Scriptures and that nothing else has transforming power. Nothing else can change us as the Scriptures can. All right. So let's let's get into our text now that we've seen a little bit of a um, little bit of context. Verse one, we see the priority of preaching. The priority of preaching. Notice how serious Paul is about this charge that he's going to give to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. 
Okay, Paul here is making similar to a, a like you would make a binding oath in a courtroom before you give a testimony. He's saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God with God as my witness. Here's what I'm about to tell you. He's saying this, what I'm about to tell you is of supreme importance. And notice he he continues in the second part of the verse. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom? Christ is the one who's going to be the final judge. God has given him that authority. That Jesus is the one who's going to separate believers from unbelievers. That at his second coming, he will judge both the living and the dead. He's going to establish his rule. And so Paul's basically saying to Timothy, listen, on the basis of my witness before God, I'm telling you these things. And on the basis of Christ watching over this, the one who has the authority to judge all things, saying that I am so sure that the God-ordained means by which people are going to gain certainty in an uncertain world is on the authority that I have that God exists and I stand in His presence and that Christ will return. Here's how you know that this is true. I stand in the presence of God and Christ is going to return. And I can't think of a more solemn way or serious way to make a charge than what Paul does here. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. So, in other words, listen carefully, Timothy, to what I'm about to say. This is very important. And here it is. Verses 2 and verse 5. Um, so Paul calls God as his witness. Paul commands Timothy on the authority of Christ and his future rule. The process of preaching in verse 2. Okay, here's the main command of the passage. It is to preach the Word. So if you, you think about it in terms of... Um, in terms of... Uh, teaching passages. A lot of the epistles are written this way. In fact, all of them are. What you're looking for, are one of the key things to find out what the passage is about is to look at the commands. If there's a command there, what is Paul saying to do? And here's the main command. Preach the Word. Everything else in these five verses go back to this very important thing, which is to preach the Word. Okay? And, and the first thing that he tells him And verse 2 is to be ready in season and out of season. Okay, so we could say, how does a person preach the Word? And the first thing that Paul tells them is that you need to be prepared. Be prepared whatever season it is. That is, the word prepared here is used for a warrior who's preparing his weapons for battle. That he just doesn't come up and, you know, show up at the battle and go, oh, you know what, I, I didn't really think through this part and and I wasn't expecting to gain this kind of enemy. And so I didn't, I didn't come equipped for that. No, a faithful preacher is one who takes time to prepare and one who, who, doesn't, who is ready for the surprise attack, the one who is always on the alert in season and out. That is, when it's popular and convenient and when it's not. Are there going to be times in the church where everything is going well and where, you know... The, Things are accepted from the pulpit. Yes, there are going to be those times. 
because you have people who are faithful to God and concerned about His Word. But are there going to be times where it's inconvenient to preach the Word? Are there going to be times when the Word of God is not wanted to be heard by people? Are there, will there be pockets of people who don't want to hear the Word preached? And so the pastor is required to be able to preach when it is scheduled and when it's convenient and when it's not scheduled. He needs to be able to explain the whole counsel of God. That's what Acts 20 says. You know, when I was with you, he says to the Ephesian elders as he's teaching them, when I was with you, I did not stop giving you the whole counsel of God. I wanted you to know all of it. Okay, it's not, I'm not hiding anything like, well, that, that part's too difficult or that part I don't really understand. I don't know how to apply that one. So I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm going to give you the whole counsel of God. Paul was modeling for us what it looks like to be a faithful preacher. So the, the message is the Word of God and it should not change as the shifting shadows of society change. If there's going to be faithful preaching, there needs to be preparation. Secondly, if there's going to be faithful biblical preaching, it requires patience. So, the way that he explains this is preach the Word, be ready, be prepared, and then reprove, rebuke, exhort. And that goes back really to verse 16 of chapter 3. The the prophet of the Scripture, right? And so he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That is, that the, the preacher's job is to patiently work through the Scriptures with the people of God as he expectantly waits for genuine change. Here's the, here's the temptation of any preacher. Okay? And I, I can't verify this, but perhaps any farmer. Okay? That we want to see immediate growth. Right? We want to see immediate and visible growth. And when it's not there, it's easy to get anxious and frustrated and try to force the growth or force some kind of visible thing to happen. Okay, This is an example um, actually used in a different context, but it, in the biblical counseling class I was saying that you, know, you could have a tree in your backyard that was not an apple tree but you could take out apples and staple it to it and make it look like an apple tree. And, and from a distance, it might work. But over time, what's going to happen? Right, it's going to be revealed for what it really is. And I think in many cases, there are preachers who, who want to see visible results. And they want to see all those apples on the tree. They want other people to see that. And so they, they um, sometimes force what really is not there. And um, I, I don't want to get into all the ways that that happens, but, but the point is that Paul is making is that, you know, as a, as a preacher, the, it's going to require a great amount of patience because genuine spiritual change, like any genuine change, does not happen in a microwave. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. And sometimes that, and many times, especially when we're dealing with the spiritual world, that growth is invisible. We like to see visible growth. And yet the change that God is calling for is often invisible. Not not like, okay, we got other people here, so I don't know, look around. You know, we got that's not the idea that I'm talking about, but I'm talking about genuine spiritual growth in your life and in my life. 
Okay, you don't see more like more medallions on my suit or something as I grow spiritually, right? And I don't see more notches on your belt as you grow spiritually. Okay, it doesn't happen that way. The the way that we see it is we saw a person who once was enslaved to their sin or once was struggling with the sin and now they're turning from it and they're loving the word more. They're they're loving God's people more. They're serving more faithfully. That's that's where it comes up, but that's harder to see, isn't it? And so that requires patience. So be ready, be prepared, be patient. And then thirdly, be persistent or be diligent. Preaching requires diligence or persistence. Notice what he says here in, in uh, verse, verse 5. But you be sober. Okay, so it requires some sobriety to think, think uh, solemnly about the truths of God. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. That that goes along with the idea of both that persecution, that there's going to be persecution that comes. People are not going to accept your message in some cases. And it also goes with the idea of patience, that you need to be able to accept the hardship, recognizing that glory is coming later. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who, um, it's only used three times in the New Testament, this word evangelist. And it is a, I think the the scriptural model for an evangelist is an itinerant announcer of God's good news. I think Paul was an evangelist. Like he was a full-time evangelist. Not in the sense that we think of it, like he goes on around in circuits, puts up big tent meetings, and then goes on to another city. Paul would go, he would establish churches. He was kind of like the forerunner, the one who would go around, explain the truth of the gospel to a group of people. In many cases who hadn't heard, that was what he felt his, uh, what God was calling him to do. And then, but that was always leading to something. It wasn't just to get decisions. It wasn't just to get a lot of, you know, hype or anything like that. Instead, it was about establishing churches. And that's why he would go back around, remember? He'd have a second and third missionary journey. And those were to establish more churches, but also to go back and check on a lot of these churches and see how they were doing. So that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, do the work of an evangelist. He's saying, not Timothy, you go around to different places and do it, but he's saying, you have a responsibility as the preacher of God's Word to explain the truth of God's Word. To to pass on, evangelize is the word good news. It is proclaiming the good news. You have a job to proclaim the good news. And so work hard to do that. Certainly all Christians have this responsibility to evangelize, to proclaim the good news. But he's saying especially pastors and teachers. And so that should be something that is evident and modeled in his life. If we're going to have faithful preaching, we need someone who is prepared and someone who is patient and someone who is persistent, that he perseveres all the way until the end. Not giving up when things get difficult, but willing to stick it out during the hard times, during the the times of opposition and working uh, to establish God's truth among God's people. Alright, so the the process of preaching. Any questions before we move to the next one? Alright, the purpose of preaching. Okay, again, look at Look at the main command 
And we can really break it down into two parts. Verse 2, the main command is this, preach the Word. There's two parts to that, two items that are critical uh, for the pastor to be in line with God's command for him. Number one, it's to preach. To preach. And number two, it's going to be the object of his preaching needs to be the Word. Okay, so first, excuse me, to preach. Preaching is is not counseling or uh, teaching, although there is some teaching that's involved. Preaching is is the idea of heralding, right? It is is the idea of a herald who goes before a king before a king comes into town, or comes on behalf of the king. The king sends him to one of his villages that he he rules, and he sends a herald in his in advance. And what is the herald's responsibility? Just kind of give his opinion on how things are going in the in the uh, kingdom, to to kind of give his interpretation of what he thinks is the best thing for the people to do. Is it to try to make them all happy so that the king will be satisfied? Not primarily. Primary thing his job is to do is to herald the truth. It is to to tell to speak on behalf of the king, to say what the king would say if he were there. And so that's the job of the pastor. He has to preach. He has to herald. And the second part of that is the object of the verb, which is the word. It's not enough to just herald something, right? We have a lot of people who stand up in pulpits and herald something. They declare something. But we must, if we're going to be faithful as as a, if I'm going to be faithful, faithful as a pastor, then I need to proclaim the very words of God. Paul says, "If anyone speaks, or I'm sorry, Peter, First Peter 4:11, if anyone speaks, let him speak the very words of God, the very utterances of God. That's the job. I don't know if you've ever been in in a um, listening to a sermon, and uh, and as you're listening." It, it seems that God is speaking directly to you. Okay, that that sounds like a little bit arrogant, you know, for for me as a preacher to be saying something like that. But I've been in that situation where I've sat under someone's preaching, and it felt like God was speaking to me. Not because that person was God, far from it, right? But it was that God speaks through people like that. That's how God communicates to His people. He communicates through His Word. And as someone explains, as He opens the Word of God, it's amazing that, that God can speak directly to my heart. And that's the job of, of the preacher. And, and uh, I, I heard one pastor say, you know, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, when you're going through the pr- prophetic se- section, did you ever notice that it's hard to tell the difference between like when the prophet is speaking and when God is speaking? He's like, okay, who's speaking here? I am the Lord. And then the next thing you know, it's in the third person. Is that God talking about Himself in the third person? Is that the prophet speaking on behalf of God? What's going on here? And, and, and the, the preacher made this point. He said, that's the kind of thing that we want to do as preachers. We want to be so in tune with what God says that, we don't, that the people can't distinguish whether it's us speaking to them or if it's God speaking to them. And uh, maybe this isn't the best example, but but uh, you have the White House spokesperson, right? President Obama can't say everything that he thinks all day long on every situation, but he has he has a guy, a spokesperson who 
who speaks on behalf of the White House. That's why when you hear these news reports, it says, you know, the White House said. Uh, it's basically the administration, which represents really President Obama, is speaking on behalf of Obama. And so when someone from the White House speaks, it's as if President Obama is speaking. And, and that's the way I think God has designed for His Word to be disseminated in the church. It is through spokespersons that He has established, that He has ordained. And the way that He's done that, obviously, is as the church is actually collectively relying on the Spirit, uh, accepting this person as being called by God. All right, so the main responsibility is to preach the Word. I need to keep moving here because we're running out of time. Okay, there are a couple purposes of this or goals. Uh, first, it is to equip the saints. Verse 2, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Okay, reprove is the idea of correcting, which was in first, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay, so it is correcting. So, when we have misunderstandings about God, about ourselves, about sin, one of the things that the Word of God does, and one of the things that God does through the preached Word, is that He corrects our thinking. How we think determines how we live. And so that's an important part of what the Word of God will do. It also rebukes, or in, ch- in chapter 3, verse 16, is the same idea of reproving. It's, it is to, to show us where we have gone wrong and then to, to, to say that this path is not of God. And then it exhorts. It, that's the training in righteousness part of chapter 3, verse 16. Right? It, it not only tells you what's not God's way, but it tells you what is God's way. And that's what the preacher should be doing as he preaches the Word. And that it teaches. It tells us who God is. And it helps us, um, it helps us align our minds with what the Scripture says. So we're not, in preaching the Word, I am not primarily or merely conveying information. Certainly there is information, and a lot of the information that I have you've heard before and you know. Okay, but, but it is to take the Word of God, understand it properly, and then try to apply it in a way that would be helpful for our own lives. And uh, so the, the preacher is much like uh, a chef who's trying to to trying to make sure that that we have a balanced diet, right? That we're getting all the proper nutrients that we need. And actually, um, you know, maybe that's not the best analogy because uh, I've actually said that that God really is the chef before in other settings. I've said, you know, my job is not to kind of pick and choose what's helpful for you. My job is just to find out what God says and give it to you. And God's kind of the chef. He's the one who's determining what's the balanced diet, uh, what's helpful for us to know. And and He's already done that by giving us His Word. Alright, so it helps to equip the saints and it helps to guard against false doctrine. Verses 3 and 4. We haven't really looked at these verses yet, so let's just let me just read them. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul says the time will come or the time is coming that as Christians, even as a church, as Ambassador Baptist Church, we should recognize that there will be a time 
when people won't want to hear the sound doctrine at Ambassador Baptist Church. Where we will accumulate people who will want to have their ears tickled. Paul expects for Timothy to face this problem that is only a matter of time. Do you realize that every single church that has ever existed has deteriorated over time? Okay? Now, we could probably exclude, obviously, the ones that are just being planted or obviously the ones that have been around and are still being faithful to God's Word. But, but think, think with me. Do you know of any solid Bible-believing church that has existed for more than a century? I know there are some. I know of some. I know one that's about 175 years old. But how about, do you know of any solid Bible-believing churches that have existed for more than 200 years? Right? What what happened to all the first century churches? What happened to the church at Ephesus? What happened to the church at Laodicea and and, and Philippi and Colossae and Rome? What happened to all those churches? Are they still there? They're still existing? As Paul had established them? You see, every church deteriorates over time, and the reason for that is because people by nature will reject the truth. Look at verse three. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not tolerate it anymore. See, the the Word of God is confrontational. And there will come a time, as the NIV puts it, that they will not put up with it. We're not going to put up with sound doctrine anymore. And instead, notice what they replace it with. They want to have their ears tickled and they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So in, in place of sound doctrine, what do they have? Okay, we can say false doctrine. Paul calls it myths. Okay, things that aren't true because why? They want to suit their own desires. And so they gather a number of teachers to say what they want to hear. These people are pretenders. They are professing believers. And that's why I've mentioned several times that the responsibility to maintain sound doctrine is not mine only. I do have a serious responsibility, as we've seen here in this passage, to maintain sound doctrine. Paul says to Titus, you know, you need to be able to reprove, you need to be able to recognize sound doctrine and to teach it, and you need to be able to expose error. So that is a main responsibility of me as your pastor. But it is not only my responsibility. You know what happens when we as a church start allowing in only professing believers? You know what I mean by that? People who are not real believers? That are nominal believers, only in name only? What happens when you have false professors of faith? Guess what kind of leaders that they bring into power? Guess what kind of leaders they have preached to them? No longer will they want to hear sound doctrine and instead that in order to have their ears tickled, they'll replace it with people who won't tell them the truth, but instead will turn them to myths. Something that will make them feel good. Paul warned that these kind of people would rise up even in our own flock and lead disciples away from the truth. Acts 20. See, they don't want to hear from God. 
They don't want to hear what God has to say. And, and why is this? Why is this? Verse 3, the middle of verse, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So, whose desires are they opposed to? What's the implication there? God's desires, right? It's not the pastor's desires necessarily. It's God's desires. They don't want, in order to have their ears tickled so they feel good about how they're living their life, they'll set aside God's desire for their lives in order for someone to come along and approve their own desires. They don't want to submit to God's Word and don't really want to hear what God says. They'd rather have someone else stand up, misinterpret the Scripture, so that they don't have to conform to it. They don't want to hear God speak. They don't want to hear the herald of God. They want to be entertained by His teachings and they want to have something that will leave them feeling good about themselves. I don't know how many times that I have heard from people that that they would like to feel better when they leave a service. They'd like to feel better about themselves when they, they leave a service. And... You know what? The Scriptures ought to encourage us. We ought to feel better about ourselves in some cases with regard to you know, the, the, the glory of Christ and what we mean to God. That Even as we're going to talk about this morning, that, that God talks about Israel as His treasured possession. Okay? So it shouldn't all be doom and gloom. And I hope that you sense that the Scriptures emphasize both of those, both the judgment and the mercy. Okay? So we should, in some cases, feel more alive more excited about who we are in God. But if that's our primary goal, what's going to happen? If all we want to do is feel good about ourselves and we never want to have that feeling where we walk away going, man, that really hit me hard. I don't want that feeling anymore. Because that hurts. And that means that I need to do something about it. What's going to happen eventually? Is we're going to look for people who will preach to us what we want to hear instead of what God said. And so the primary way that we are going to be equipped to do the work of ministry and to guard against false doctrine in our church, to guard against the danger that is out there for our church to deteriorate. Because I can tell you that one day our church will deteriorate. And and I can and I, I want to affirm here today that I pray that it's not in my in my lifetime or in the lifetime of the next generation of this church. But I can tell you that if God delays in sending His Son, this church will become apostate. Our job is to hold the ground for as long as possible. Does God's work fail if our church fails at some point? No. Christ will build His church. He's going to rise up another set of believers or disperse them to other places. Okay, so... It's not as if God has failed. We don't have to worry about that. But we want to be faithful to God. We want to be God's chosen instruments and be used for centuries, just as we've been used for the last uh, last dozen um, or, or last uh, several decades. We want to be used for another couple hundred years. 
long as God allows. And the way that that's going to happen is as long as the Word of God is preached here. That is preached with preparation and with patience and with persistence. You know, our time as a local church is filled with a lot of very important things. And it is important that the Word of God is preached, but that's not enough. It is important that we sing the Word of God, but that's not enough. It is important that we individually are reading the Word of God, but that's not enough. When we meet together, we need to make sure that the Word of God is preached and that that we are actually responding to it. I mean, what good would the citizens of a kingdom do if they hear from the king, from the herald of the king, and they do nothing about it? He says, here are all the problems that we have in my kingdom. And here's what you need to do about it. And then nothing happens. Right? Or like the person who looks in the mirror, sees the spinach in his teeth and all the marks on his face, and turns away and does nothing. It's done us no good. So it's not enough for the Word of God to be preached. We need to be changed by it. We need to allow the Spirit to change us. We need to be complicit to His leading. And and when we do that, the Spirit will actually encourage us through His Word. You will walk away from the preaching of God's Word on many occasions, if not every, encouraged to do more for God. It will correct you. It will teach you. It will train you. And it will keep you from false doctrine. The Word of God is the source of our spiritual food, uh, spiritual life. It is a spiritual food that we eat. It, And we should not be surprised if it is the main thing that we focus on as a church. What is the main thing for Ambassador Baptist Church and for every Bible-believing church? It is the Word of God. It is the way that God has revealed Himself to us. It is the the very thing that points us to Jesus Christ it shows us how we need to come to Him and how we need to follow Him. There's nothing more important in the life of the church than the Word of God and it being preached. If you want to have certainty in an uncertain world, if you want to have stability and strength in the time of deterioration, then make sure that the Word of God is preached here. Don't ever be satisfied with emotional stories and heartwarming nonsense. Make sure that the Word of God is preached here. And in doing so, we will guard ourselves against ourselves and against the the terror of, of evil that rises up within us and from outside of us. And this is God's ordained means of of growing His church. It is through the Word of God. Alright? So, nothing more central to the life of the church than preaching the Word. Alright, so next two weeks we want to continue our uh, just introduction to our church and it will be helpful for you, if, even if you've been a member for a long time or you've only been a member for a year, to be reminded about uh, why we're here. Ne- actually, next week we're going to look at what's so special about being Baptist. I have friends who are not Baptist, and 
what's so special about being Baptist? Do we have to be Baptist in order to be saved? Or do we need, you know, are only Baptists going to be in, in heaven? I'm not going to get into all that. But we feel very strongly here, I feel very strongly, about being a Baptist. And I don't think there's anything more uh, more correct as far as our understanding of the Scriptures. And uh, we can talk about some of the differences, but, but we'll show uh, why it's so important that we are a Baptist. And then uh, the following week we're going to just look at what be, we believe. If, if the church must be, have it at a center preaching of the Word, then, then nothing is more important about a church than what it believes. And uh, we could say that about any, any person. Because how we believe is going to determine how we live. And so we want to look at that. So we're going to look at our statement of faith together. What's so special about being a Baptist and getting to the core of what we believe? Any questions before we are dismissed? Bill, please. Yeah, in uh, in seminary we use big words, so they call that um, exegesis versus eisegesis. Exegesis is drawing out the meaning of the text from the text. So what does God say? Let's find out what He says, and that's going to be the main point of the sermon, right? Eisegesis is, I've got an idea, I want to tell people, now I need to find some Scripture to back it up. So let's see. Oh, here's a good one. You know, and just pull out a scripture out of context and just like, you know, if God were sitting in the front row, he'd be like, what is that? That's not what I meant. It's not what I'm trying to convey. So that's the that's the difference of understanding the, the point of the text from the text or taking our idea and forcing it on the text. Because I believe this way, this is what this has to mean. And we could list hundreds of examples of that that go on all the time. All right, thank you for that. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for the faithfulness of it to your word. And it is sobering to think that there will be a day when when even this church turns away from you. But Lord, we pray that that will not happen in our lifetime. We pray that that will not happen in the next generation. But that we will train up faithful leaders even within our own church that can be able to carry on Uh, what we have been given. We are gifted and blessed people because we have received such a great amount of mercy. This this treasure, this church that has been established by your Spirit and through just uh, thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of hours of effort and work and, and, uh, and of your Spirit leading. And so we pray that you would just continue to uh, mold in us and to shape us and to make us even more equipped and better to do your will. Help us to uh, keep central what you desire to be central, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.